Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR proudly acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from which we broadcast. The Immigration Museum in Melbourne is hosting a special exhibition of the poet Khalil Gibran through the summer and into March. It's an immersive showcase featuring artistic representations of themes from The Prophet, his most famous work, which has never been out of print and is published in over a hundred languages and dialects. Joining me in the studio this morning to talk about the exhibition is esteemed Melbourne poet and spoken word performer, Noor Abouzaid. Welcome, Noor. Thank you for having me. I I feel like esteemed poet is just a way of saying he's been around a lot. (laughs) He's also been to uh, America representing Australia. Oh yeah, we did that. That was fun. (laughs) And you're a hologram in this exhibition, I believe. I am. um, What they've done is got a whole heap of what they're calling community voices. So people who are either from, you know, Lebanese background who have a personal connection with uh, Bshari or Lebanon, where uh, where Khalil Gibran is from, or or artists who have been uh, inspired by his work over the years. Uh, so uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to get involved and be uh, one of those artists, um, and I get to share some of my thoughts on his work and his influence uh, in an almost hologram type thing when you walk into the exhibition alongside uh, Melbourne legend DJ, DJ Mizrisk, and uh, also, uh, funnily enough, uh, former Premier Steve Brax. So there's a whole range of different community voices talking uh, Khalil Gibran. So you can sort of enter it and hear a whole different range of stories and then as you're leaving the exhibition, you'll hear a whole heap of different ones and sometimes from the same people or different people, you'll be like, oh, I didn't see that that video before. Uh, so it's really nicely designed. It sort of creates this nice sort of uh, introduction and exit from the exhibition. Funnily enough, my, my first encounter with Khalil Gibran was like, with an, like on an American TV show. There's this cartoon called The Boondocks. Uh, and if you guys aren't familiar, get on it. It's a really woke show. Uh, but it, it follows the story of this like African-American family who moves from uh, they move from the hood and they go to this like rich white neighborhood. But in one of the episodes, they're attending this funeral and the grandfather says to one of the grandchildren, he goes, you know, he's like, Huey, say something, say something wise. And then Huey goes, your pain is the breaking of the shell that encloses your understanding, Khalil Gibran. And I heard that and I was like, Khalil Gibran? That sounds like an Arabic name. And then I looked it up. I was like, yo, this guy's one of us. Um, and then I went on this massive spiral of like reading his work, getting the profit and going, oh my God, where has this been all my life? Um, and then using that as like a really important tool in my own sort of like self-reflection. But it, people are always weirded out when I tell them the story. It's like, no, I didn't come across it in, in, in an orthodox way. I was just watching a, a funny cartoon series. Um, and, you know, uh, and since then it's, like I'm always revisiting uh, the prophet, particularly, and just recently I bought this massive collection of his works, and I every now and again just flip through a few pages, and um, you always you always find something, and just it's the, w- the way he wrote things down so eloquently and artistically. 
but at the same time, like it's just so raw and real, uh, it's very hard not to find a connection. Uh, Elvis Presley was a massive fan, and he would um, he would sign copies of the Prophet and give them as gifts. And in, at the Immigration Museum, they've actually acquired one of these original copies signed by Elvis, and they've got it in the museum. Um, so yeah, his influence is certainly far and wide. And John Lennon uh, uses his uses one of his lines. Yes. Uh, half of what I say is meaningless, uh, but I say it just to reach you. There you go. When they were promoting the exhibition, the Immigration Museum put like a list of all the people who was, like have been influenced by him, and I think there was also uh, David Bowie and uh, I think Indira Gandhi, and there's a, a whole range of of people who have uh, found something in the Prophet over the years. The Prophet wasn't a particularly big hit when it came out initially uh, in 1923 or 24. Uh, but it sort of rose to like massive popularity and like the counterculture of the 60s and 70s. And I, I heard from a lot of people that like it was really, really common, particularly in, in Australia as well, that so many weddings um, at that time, someone would use something uh, from Khalil Gibran, particularly from the Prophet, in their wedding vows. Like it was almost it was almost cliche <laughs> to do. Do you think it's influenced your work at all? In recent times, Definitely. I see Khalil Gibran from two different sort of perspectives. He is a lot more read and influential in the West than he is in like Arabic speaking communities, like even in sort of Lebanon and Syria where he's from. And, you know, that's partly to do with all his later works were predominantly in English. But at the same time, um, he came from a sort of conservative uh, Catholic family. And then his works were heavily inspired by some elements of what you could call like Muslim mysticism, uh, general spirituality. There was later reports that, you know, he was uh, converted to Baha'i. No one really knows. But the idea is that in, in parts of the Middle East, he's often seen as a bit blasphemous or, you know, they don't, they, they look at his work and they go, hmm, I don't think so. He's talking about God like this or like that. And then, you know, me coming from quite a conservative Muslim family and growing up in the West, we sort of develop our own sort of personal relationship with the idea of God. And I see that in, in Khalil Gibran's work is that he, he puts this nice spin on like the idea of spirituality and God that everyone can relate to, even if people uh, don't believe in God, like sort of away from like the strict dogma. There is like something profound in like the spirituality he talks about. And, and for me, that has been an empowering sort of experience in my own sort of religious and spiritual journey. And it's really funny to see because like I said, my mum would be like, oh, this guy, he, he his philosophy is whack. This is not correct or whatever. Uh, and at the same time, people in, in the West don't appreciate, uh, particularly people who are don't come from necessarily like religious backgrounds, can't sort of uh, appreciate the struggle between those two things, like holding on to this idea of religion and still maintaining like an overarching spirituality. Um, and he was also a migrant, you know, he left Lebanon, went to the US, uh, and that's where he did the bulk of his work. And in English too. And in English, yeah. We, we connect so much on that level because I, I mean, I'm born and raised in Australia, but obviously my, my family is from a migrant background. And we don't know any way to express ourselves but in English. And to see someone like Khalil Gibran express it and then talk about being a stranger in, you know, the places we call home and still having a longing for this other place. Uh, yeah, it really strikes strikes a chord with a lot of us and uh, led me to be, I think, a bit more, um, a bit more gentle in my writing, a bit more uh, reflective 
you know, my my earlier sort of repertoire was more, you know, just angry. Uh, and a lot of it still is, but uh, through growing up and reading more Gibran, I've certainly become a bit more reflective and, um, yeah, introspective in the poetry I write. I, uh, I love, you know, the chance to be able to sit down and, you know, through words have something really introspective and meditative. and The rawness of words, that finding the essence of it, finding the story. The longest distance in us is the curve of the S. I think writing is the best medicine that, you know, can heal you so quickly. I think that the community of poets is one of the best communities out because we do support each other. Yeah. <laughs> So, so tragic, isn't it? This is Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. Al the chosen and the beloved, who was adorned unto his own day, had waited 12 years in the city of Orphalese for his ship that was to return and bear him back to the isle of his birth. And in the 12th year, on the 7th day of Elul, the month of reaping, he climbed the hill without the city walls and looked seaward, and he beheld his ship coming with the mist. Then the gates of his heart were flung open, and his joy flew far over the sea, and he closed his eyes and prayed in the silences of his soul. But as he descended the hill, a sadness came upon him, and he thought in his heart, How, how shall I go in peace and without sorrow? Nay, not without a wound in the spirit shall I leave this city. Long were the days of pain I have spent within its walls, and long were the nights of aloneness, and who can depart from his pain and his aloneness without regret? Too many fragments of the spirits have I scattered in these streets, and too many are the children of my longing that walk naked among these hills, and I cannot withdraw from them without a burden and an ache. It is not a garment I cast off this day, but a skin that I tear with my own hands, nor is it a thought I leave behind me, but a heart made sweet with hunger and with thirst. Yet I cannot tarry longer. The sea that calls all things unto her calls me, and I must embark. For to stay, though the hours burn in the night, is to freeze and crystallize and be bound in a mould. Fain would I take with me all that is here, but how shall I? A voice cannot carry the tongue and the lips that gave it wings. Alone must it seek the ether. And alone, without his nest, shall the eagle fly across the sun. Now, when he reached the foot of the hill, he turned again towards the sea, and he saw his ship approaching the harbour, and upon her prow the mariners, the men of his own land. The beautiful language of Khalil Gibran there, from his famous work, The Prophet, read by Noor, who's with me in the studio today. The most famous sort of, um, uh, like Arabic and slash Lebanese, particularly, uh, sort of uh, folk music, there was a, a lot of singers um, who who had to flee Lebanon during the Civil War and they went to South America and stuff. And so much of their songs are this, this longing for home. Um, and it's something that rings through with like all migrants, despite the idea of we call, calling Australia or America or wherever home. There's still this this longing um, for you know the place of your ancestors, um, and you know uh, we all sort of celebrate it in different ways. And I think Khalil Gibran in, in the Prophet was is sort of him saying, you know, I haven't lost that connection. So this longing for home is uh, something that's a theme of your work yeah. that comes up a lot. For me, it's not so much a longing for home in that sense. I mean, a lot of us, um, the descendants of like migrant children or third culture kids. 
we've sort of accepted the idea that we might never find a place that we can all fully call home. I mean, uh, uh, poet Warsan Shire uh, has a quote, which I don't want to bastardize, but just a paraphrase. She says something basically like, you know, too foreign for here and too foreign for home. Um, and, you know, if I go back to where my dad is from, Egypt, or where my mum is from in Syria, I'll still be like, ah, you're the Western kid. And obviously here, the brown skin and beard means, where are you really from? So I sort of accept that. But for more, uh, for us, I think, um, or for me in particular, instead of like a longing for home, it's it's a longing to to honor my ancestors, to, to celebrate uh, where my ancestors came from and in, enjoy the, the traditions that, that my parents have brought with them and find a way to incorporate them and enjoy them in the place I now live in. Like me personally, I, I certainly identify as a Melbourneian. Like Melbourne is home. It's very hard to, you know, accept the whole idea of being Australian because uh, there's just so much that comes with that. But I certainly identify with Melbourne as home. And for me, it's just trying to reconcile the stories of my parents and ancestors with home in Melbourne. Do you have a piece that reflects this? Um, this is a, a piece I wrote uh, during April uh, where a lot of poets do this challenge where they write one poem every every day. And we were visiting a family who had newly come from Syria. It, I just looking at his, his face and just speaking to him brought up this piece. He's been here for some years now. Yet when you look into his eyes, it is evident that he is still broken. His family have never wielded weapons, but I swear to you, they are warriors of the highest order, soldiers with no Kevlar, bare faces to the elements. There are invisible scars on his face, right above his beard, that tell a story of a home that once was an intricate encyclopedia of arabesque arches, towering minarets, black marble tiles, stuffed grape leaves, bitter coffee, baklava, and small alleyway markets. Amongst the resting place of giants, they tell us of the common folk who now find comfort in the shade of these tombs. They got out before they had to resort to that. Despite burnt buildings, a lost homeland, and memories buried so deep within the depths of the earth, they now dance with our ancestors despite that. He still laughs. A watchmaker with a distorted sense of time, yet he sees the future in his children, and they smile on behalf of the thousands of Syrian children who are robbed of that right. They smile, and the history of their city gleams into a new home. It lights up the room and reminds us all that it will never be forgotten. It's a tragedy that politics interferes so badly with people's lives. Yeah. Just going back to Khalil Gibran, I read that he said that he wasn't political. Do you think that's true? I, th I, I think for the most part, yes. Through all of his writing, you can certainly sense that politics certainly isn't a big theme. Uh, but the reality of him being, you know, uh, an Arab-speaking poet from the Middle East and a migrant in the United States, you know, in the 1920s to 1930s, his existence is completely political. That might be something that he didn't realize or wanted to acknowledge at the time. He is dealing with dealing with a lot of things, you know, lost a, a mum and a sibling to tuberculosis and then alcoholism, which would later kill him. Um, so certainly from his writing, it's evident that he wasn't out to be political, but we often don't have a choice we don't get to pick when we're political or not. Often the least political people are the most political without realizing. 
or silence as a political. Yeah, exactly. Like people don't realize the the privilege in being able to not engage, and that in itself is a political act. And so for me, yeah, while Khalil Gibran isn't outwardly political, his existence in that time and era and the the effect his work is able to have on people's spirituality and get them to connect with the humanity, which could later change how they treat people, is 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 political in in a way we often don't acknowledge enough. I hate people who say I don't like to talk about politics. No one does love. See, I don't like to talk about teeth. But when you have a gaping cavity in a wisdom tooth, sometimes you just can't help it. See, no one should have to bear the pain in silence. You know the type of people that say, oh, I just don't talk about politics. So I'm not a political person. Yes, the hell you are. I'm not political is probably the most political statement you could ever make. worry about that you don't have a problem making our struggles invisible that you can live your life not having to worry about the consequences of those in power we don't have that luxury so you can say you're tired of mom whinging or maybe I should stop screaming or maybe no you should do less angry poems or you know what maybe you're the one who's being too political maybe you just need to chill out but I won't we Won't. Our survival depends on this. Our survival depends on this. We don't have a choice. The moment we ignore the politics is the moment they erase our voice. And there's no coming back from that. We've seen them mock us in their parliament. I've seen people calling for our genocide. I've seen them close the borders. I've seen the children washed to the shore. I've seen the slits on wrists. I've seen the homes of our ancestors turn to rubble, so I'm not just about to chill out. See, we don't like to talk about politics either, but we have to. We have to scream it loud, pledge allegiance to our people and to justice proud. It's the only thing that's keeping us on top of our resistance, and quite frankly at the moment, it's the only thing that's maybe guaranteeing our existence. So the next time someone says to you, I'm not political. Punch them in the face and say, you know what? I'm not violent. This is Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. And that was the voice of Noor Abu Zaid, recorded at Slamalama Ding Dong in December last year. And courtesy of Melbourne Spoken Word, you can find this and many other poems on the Melbourne Spoken Word YouTube site. Noor is appearing at a special exhibition of Khalil Gibran at the Melbourne Immigration Museum at the moment. Thank you so much for coming in today, Noor. My absolute pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. When does the exhibition finish? So basically, you've still got till the end of March. There'll be a whole heap of uh, events running in February as well to celebrate uh, the Khalil Gibran exhibition and everything else that's going on at the Immigration Museum. So follow them on Facebook and Instagram um, and things like that to keep up to date because there's a lot of cool activities that we've got planned. Thanks very much for coming in. My pleasure. Here. Where the love is rougher and the storms are firm Here, where the books are thinner and the lessons burn Here, where we can lose our bodies to the stress of lies Here, where we can raise our mouths to the biggest skies 
And I don't want to only learn the hard way anymore I want lullabies and sweet love through the night And I could fight you for the high ground Or forgive you in the dawn Cause either way, the child of now will still be born And he'll be needy, he'll be beaming Like they always are at first And in the hardest, deepest, darkest drought Our tears will quench his thirst Cause we're halfway there and ready now For all we could have been And the dreaming stops the bleeding This is love And finally you speak to me In ways that we once knew Finally you say what makes you feel That heavy blue And we catch you like a dandelion Shimmering in the breeze And this is love And this is love And this we need And we'll catch you like a dandelion Shimmering in the breeze And this is love And this is love And this we need That was the sublime voice of Alice Knight here on Community Radio 3CR. The program is Spoken Word. I'm Brendan Bonsack. Alice is travelling the country at the moment to launch her new poetry anthology called Molten. Alice is launching this book at Hares and Hyenas in Melbourne tonight, 10th of January. Alice, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. What can people expect at the launch? I'll be speaking some poems from Molten and uh, singing as well. I'm a singer-songwriter and a poet. And so there'll be a bit of a mix between the two. And also they may have a moment where they're asked to sing. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Could be some beautiful little droning voice and melody underneath poems. I like to combine ritual elements as well in my performance. So there may be just some subtle little ritual elements that come through. See, See what happens. Central, you could say. Sometimes I ask the audience to bring nature elements to add uh, to a little kind of a altar type space. I never know what's going to happen and what the audience is going to bring, but it's possible that there could be a very meaningful moment for some people in the space that comes through um, the words and also, you know, just the the sound of the human voice when when someone is singing is a beautiful time to just sit and listen and reflect on your life while you're basking in that. So I hope that I can create a container for that too. I'm very impressed with audiences that come and see poetry because it takes a lot of attention to really track with the words as they're coming through and what I've said in the past is you know you don't have to love every line you don't even have to hear every line but just allow some part of you to be listening so that you can catch the thing um, that you really want or need to hear yeah and how have the other launches gone yeah beautiful um you know like some little wins for me are like a a friend of mine who then said that his young sister was talking to him for the first time openly about her experiences of uh, sexuality and expressing herself and whether she can speak and and tell her lover um this isn't feeling good for me I've got poems that speak to that speak to expression in intimate spaces as well as larger cultural spaces so you know, there's a there's a young woman who's now speaking openly with her older brother and they're having um, a deeper conversation about life because of being exposed to one of my poems. So that's that's amazing to me. That's what it's about for me. 
and I really love Hares and Hyenas as a venue. I think there's so much great energy in that space. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how, how it lands there. You never know what you're going to get at Hares and Hyenas. Yeah, totally, which is why I can fit in. <laughs> <laughs> what time is the launch on? Um, doors are 7, opening at 7 for a 7.30 start. Yeah. And is there a cost? Yeah, it's $5 entrance, but that money actually goes to Bravehearts Charity, um, helping with child protection, child safety. And then the book will be there for sale. And if people want one, I can sign them. And usually I inscribe long messages into the books. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Do you feel like you get to know the audience by the end of a show? Yeah, I feel like uh, it's a beautiful way to experience connection. And I was just recently playing at Falls Festival and I was saying to the audience that when I perform, it actually erupts this feeling of love, like genuine love for the people that are in the space together. And that's largely why I love doing it, because it brings me into my, you could say, higher self. It brings me into my most compassionate, most loving self. So I definitely feel like connection is um, very, very possible. Was there a point in your life that you, that you turned to art? Uh, when I was 13, I went to a very large high school and I felt very lost there. And um, I chose to respond through art. I would be walking through the school grounds listening to Radiohead and spend my lunch hours in the art room just painting and using spray paints and throwing art at the canvas. And then I moved from there into singing when I was 15. I had an amazing drama teacher, went to a smaller school because I couldn't handle the big one anymore. I went to that school and met this drama teacher and um, she was very much inspiring us to be creative and to innovate and uh, create things ourselves rather than do pre-written pieces. And so I said, can I please uh, sing? She said, yes. And then I got to sing a cappella. I sang a song by Lamb and it was in front of a few hundred people and I just felt absolutely no nervousness. I felt totally in myself. And then I just realised, oh, this is a place. This is a place that I feel like myself. I definitely feel like it, uh, songwriting began as a way to communicate with people that I, I didn't know what to say uh, in real life. People like my mother um, also, you know, like songs to society so the first song i wrote was called gamble to give and it was about the gambling industry and about what if we reversed it flipped it and it was actually about um aspiring to be generous rather than aspiring to take so yeah songs to culture is how it really began and then songs to my mother um we were going through many things in our family and um there were times where i there just was no space for the conversation so I would end up doing a gig with my mother in the front row and I would be looking at her and I would be saying what I really wanted to say and she would be receiving it so that's been a dialogue through art with the closest people in my life over years and the same goes with intimate you know stories I will communicate with all my lovers through poetry and through song it's a way that I um, share how I really feel or what I really want to say yeah you're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR, community radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. He who I stand with. A man who can admit when he's wrong. A man who worships God in the birds. A man who holds children with love's wings. A man who is willing to evolve with each passing moon. 
a man who can confess his past ills and face the repercussions, a man who notices when a woman is being interrupted, a man who is father or friend to those who suffer, a man who will surrender to the guidance of a woman, a man who is trained in the art of guiding others, a man who wakes with the dawn some days and dreams lazy others, a man who refuses to replicate his father's aggression, a man who forgives his father for the broken days, a man who holds his body to the light, a man who attends his shrinking mother makes her smile, a man who sees it as his obligation to bring health to other men, a man who sits quiet on mountains and tells no one of it, a man who lets his chest and groin be infused with waves and the wind, a man who gathers the peace fragments in wartime, a man who takes it unto himself to learn the words of warlords, a man who lets himself be had by poetry, a man who kisses the blood of his lover's moon, a man who adds his tears to the healing of a species, a man who can create the feeling of celebration even in a storm, a man who lets both his deep and tender voice sing, I stand with him. Is there such a man? I believe there is, yeah. And also uh, I feel like that man is within me as well. So I feel inspired uh, when, I, when I read that poem that I can embody those things too as a woman. Mm. Your poetry has a, a sense of awakening or a turning or a revolution on the horizon. Shh. <laughs> secret. <laughs> do you feel like we're at a, a tipping point or a turning point? Oh, yes, I do. I feel like there are so many unnecessary struggles that are being played out in our human realities. And I feel like there are many young people who are shifting um, the trauma story and ending the cycles. So I definitely feel like there's a lot happening right now that's very very potent and it's like a combining of old knowledges and new knowledges and remembering our very basic human needs and learning to understand each other deeply. Do you think poets play an important role in that? Mm, I definitely do, yeah. Poets can create these pieces that can be like mantras to our, to our soul or to our psyche. And one poem can really guide a human being in their life and uh, be, a, be like a prayer that they can remember and come back to. And I don't necessarily feel like any single poem in my book does that or is that yet, but that's an aspiration over time is to create pieces that uh, contain a magic or an alchemy inside them in just a few short lines. My favourite living poet is David White. He speaks of life and death in a really courageous way and he brings about this feeling of courage and communication, communicating with the entire world around us. So um, not just human to human, but a human being with all of the elements, all of the, the nature, even like a, the, the spirit of a teapot or the pots and pans. So just this communion with life. When I go to his 
um, talks. There's this feeling of camaraderie with all of the other people in the in the audience of, hey, we're all willing to be together in the quiet between the lines or the quiet between the poems and just sit and breathe that and come together, recognize each other, feel more love and aliveness and readiness and willingness to face life and face pain and move through heartbreak and yeah it's very deeply inspiring to me is there something you want to try and create in your launch well right now i'm doing this this tour and i've called it the remember tour and so actually at the end of my uh, performances i've been asking the audience what is it that you want to remember more in your life and so there's been definitely some beautiful conversation that has come from that my uh, basic theory is that every single human being is an artist, uh, a singer, a storyteller. And it pains me greatly that people seem to have forgotten that or that there's a separation between who's an artist and who is not. Because um, it just is so healthy to sing and to share stories and to speak freely. And um, I've witnessed countless, countless times of people who didn't think that they could sing or create um, stepping up and doing so and just bringing the magic into the room so yeah I have full faith in every single human being to be able to do that mm. well thank you for coming along Alice you're welcome thank and you so much for having me and caring about all these little things best of luck tonight thank you at the launch yeah thank you so much well that's the program for this week remember Alice Knight's poetry launch of Moulton is on at Hares and Hyenas tonight from 7 o'clock, that's 63 Johnson Street, Fitzroy, and entry is a donation of $5. Khalil Gibran, the Garden of the Prophet, is on at the Immigration Museum until the 17th of March. For more information, visit museumsvictoria.com.au slash immigrationmuseum. Tickets are available online. And for more information about poetry gigs and happenings in Melbourne, visit www.melbournespokenword.com. Thanks for tuning in to Spoken Word. We're on every Thursday morning at 9am or podcast from www.3cr.org.au. I'm Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening. So you're convinced you're broken, ruined, an abomination. You sleep under the piano in your parents' study listening to the sounds of their love dying. Four years old again, and also 30 sons a woman. And you're weaning again, weaning yourself off the teat of deceit, while the wealth of Sydney rocks itself in its own obsolescence on sunlit water. And there are entities crawling out the cracks in the walls and pavement, and you're sure only you can see them. But you're wrong. It's strange amongst your utterance of words like depression and anxiety. I hear the most striking wisdom I've happened upon in a while. I know what you want, because I want it too. To say you're done with art, though, is to say you're ready to die, and I don't think you are. You cannot halt the artistry of thought. You cannot push the water back over the damn wall. It's already broken open. 
Save the paint for child's play. Curate your thoughts and take no pay. Volunteer at the front desk of your own spirit for a while. The desert is a tender place. A place to swim alone in the old red of absolute life. When you return, plant herbs and succulents like the cool cats do. Water them and let your lovers watch. Let sustainability seduce them. Let lace be wetted by tears of appropriate empathy. Let revolution lubricate before it liberates. Let sarcasm rule the house. Then, cover your body in your own feces, earth and menstrual blood and howl a sweet horror while you orgasm in the corner of your bedroom and he watches from your four-poster bed. How far are you willing to push this boat out of the bay? How far into the landscape do you care to be cast? You speak of attempting to accept yourself and your own humanity. Just do something. It doesn't even matter what. Stop spreading violence in your own violent rejection of yourself. Lower your head into the shadows and also let the fluorescence bring out the golden flecks in your eyes. Light is light. It will find a way into you. Life force still courses, and you are in a unique position to contribute insight from where you are, from where you are not. Make an invitation. See who the fuck comes. I know you struggle with the life that's been set up for us because you're right, it's not natural. We're still adjusting post industrial revolution. After coffee, shall we get our hands dirty? Cover our faces in the clay of shame and scream into city streets. Not for the art of it, but for the necessity to bleed, dream, and speak again. Can you hear the melodies beckoning you away from the sacred cradle of happenstance? Can you hear the melodies beckoning? Can you hear the melodies beckoning you away from the sacred cradle of happenstance? Lick the fat of your arms and sing in melancholic disarray. This is a strange battle, and you are a peace beacon, actually. Today, count seed pods. Tomorrow, play one note. And at the very least, trust yourself. <laughs>